Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. a letter that changed my life. So going back to eighth grade, my mom is a single mom at the time, and she received this letter from my junior high. Now, I just want to take a moment before I go any further to admire this wonderful yearbook picture. Uh, If you've ever wanted laser beams all around you, and let's just... Hmm, let's, yeah, let's... Wasn't that a great moment? Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Oh, fun times. So in this letter, they explained how their computer system had broken down and over the last several months, and it wasn't accurately counting absences. And so they were going through the system, and they were correcting things. And so the letter said this, we've discovered that your son has actually missed 105 days of school out of the 180 days required. (laughs) Yes, you heard that correctly. This letter went on to explain that there's no way to... uh, to, uh, make this up, and that your son is going to have to repeat the eighth grade. So, of course, my mom is in complete and utter shock. And, uh, oh, hi, mom. (laughs) She's watching right now, and I'm really sorry about that way back then. Um, So, anyway, she calls all my different friends' houses trying to find me to ask me about this letter. She finally finds the house that I'm at, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. Because I I knew that that was it. I, I was caught, busted, pinched up the creek without a paddle. Like, you guys get the point, right? Okay. So when I had this decision to make, do I run away? What what do I do? Like, uh, like where would I I even go? And and the people I was skipping school with, they didn't have much wisdom. They're like, you should totally run, bro. (laughs) I'm like, oh, great. So I left the house, and I'm just like walking around this neighborhood, and I'm like wrestling, wrestling, and like my, 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 my teenage mind is just like in this sheer terror But I finally decide I I just need to like face this head on because really I was on this very destructive path. Like skipping school was just kind of the tip of it. I, I was stealing, I was doing drugs and I was starting to dig this really dark hole that was gonna be impossible for me to get out of. So I decided, okay, I'm just gonna face my mom and tell her the truth. You see, that letter full of very sobering truth, actually changed the trajectory of my life. And as I walked out the consequences, I repeated eighth grade, and I mean, that was actually really embarrassing to do this, a lot of teasing. Like, what is it with junior high? Brutal, all the teasing. But anyway, you know, I actually began to become a good student. And by the time I graduated high school, I was in the top 10% of my class. And then I even went on to college, one of the first in my family, and eventually got my master's. You see, letters, even hard letters, can change your life. So we've been in a series called Revelation. So the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And we've been actually exploring the book of Revelation and seeing how Jesus is revealing himself to us today. And so over the last few weeks, 
we've gone through several of the letters. These letters are life-changing and powerful because they're letters from Jesus to the church. Now, over the centuries, these letters have been somewhat ignored or largely misunderstood, but they actually contain some really powerful insights. What I love about them is they each paint this amazing picture of Jesus, like, and it's very unique, picture of Jesus. And then Jesus actually addresses really serious problems, actually some of the same problems that we still face today. But see, what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't leave us there. See, after that, yeah, see, she knows, right? So after, after those problems, he invites us into this divine partnership because that partnership actually leads us to promise, lots of promises, amazing promises. You see, Jesus is the answer to every single problem that you're facing right now, every single problem. And, and that's a lot to say in the world that we're currently living in, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Yes. He, every problem, he has a promise. For every tension, he has redemption. Now, I don't need to explain to you how the world is kind of upside down right now. Like, nothing looks the same. Nothing has been left untouched. Some of you in this room are educators. You're church leaders. Maybe some of you online are healthcare workers, or you work in government, or maybe entertainment or, or sports, right? And you can't do anything the same way you did it before. Anything. And so when you're in this kind of state, it kind of makes you start to search for significance. Like, do I bring value anymore? Where do I fit now? What's my role? What's, what's this new normal? I mean, even in your family, you're like, you know, I thought I was a good parent until my kids were home with me all the time. I mean, can I get another amen? Fire emoji in your chat room right there. Yeah. Like, are you searching for significance? Like, are you wondering, where do I bring value? You see, this is what the two churches were dealing with that we're going to look, about, look at today. Like they were searching for significance in a world full of chaos and tension. I mean, it sounds exactly like what we're going through. And you see, the way that Jesus reveals himself, what he's inviting them into actually has huge implications and relevance for us today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into these letters. So Jesus, I just thank you that you are the answer to every problem that we have. That where there is tension, you have redemption. Where there's problem, even our own unique problem, you have a promise. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. And and you say in these letters, Lord, those who have ears to hear, I pray, open our ears, God. Open our ears this morning. Open our hearts. Let us hear what you're saying to us. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the fifth letter that we're going to look at is the letter to Sardis. Now, you can see a map of where Sardis is located. Sardis was a beautiful city. It was like built on a cliff, city on the hill, so to speak. The the word Sardis actually means prince of joy, and it, it had been a home to kings. It used to be the capital. It was like a central city in the Roman Empire, and the Jewish people here were thriving. They had a thriving synagogue in this place. And so this is the backdrop that Jesus is writing to the church in Sardis. So here we go. Verse 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, 
He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So right away, he's starting with a picture. And I just, I just love this. He, he reveals himself as the answer before even addressing the problem. And here's something to note. He doesn't just have the answer. He is the answer. And right now, he's saying, I am the holder of the seven spirits of God. Now, it's not seven different spirits. It's actually one spirit. But he's saying, I hold every attribute of the Holy Spirit. I contain, have, uh, I, in me is the fulfillment, is the fullness of the Spirit. That, that's an amazing promise, so that's something to remember. The other thing he says, he says, and the seven stars. Now, we know this from the Ephesian church, that this is uh, the church leader. So he mentioned this to Ephesians and now to the Sardians. Now, I didn't say sardines. Sardians, I know, just, just, just to clarify. Is he, is he saying sardines? Did he just say fish? No, no, didn't say that. See, both of these churches were in central cities. Like Sardis was the capital, Ephesus was to become the capital, and they considered themselves the center of attention. So Jesus right here is revealing himself as the actual center, really powerful. Okay, here we go. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, that's savage Jesus right there. Yeah. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So unlike some of the other letters, Jesus is actually jumping right into the problem. There's no compliment sandwich like we normally get. Sardians have made a name for themselves, right? They're good at performing. They look good on the outside, but they're kind of distant on the inside. So they have a good reputation in their community, but their religious activity is not what Jesus is looking for. He says, and yet you are dead. That, that word there actually means corpse. And I mean, that's pretty strong. Like he didn't even say your works are dead. He says you are. Okay. So savage Jesus, I know, pretty bold. So somewhere along the way, the Sardians received the gospel and began to make an impact in their city, right? It drew attention. They started to make a, a name for themselves. And then they became to become infatuated with their reputation. And they started to leave out the Spirit of God. They just kind of left them out of it. And as we read later, they even began to compromise in order to keep that reputation. How real is this for us today? You know, maybe you found yourself doing things that kind of just go along with the crowd. Like if you actually stand up for the right thing, you know, maybe you lose your influence or your popularity or maybe they start labeling you and you begin to compromise. Like I know as a Christian right now, you cannot share any belief or value that's not political or divisive. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I know you guys know. Like, there's a huge draw in our culture to compromise, to just go along with the crowd so we can be accepted. Maybe you experience this in your work. You know, where you, you can tell there's like this clear shift from Jesus. You know Jesus is not okay with it, but you're like, to save reputation, you're just like kind of, oh, I'll just kind of go along with it. This is hard. It's complicated. But see, what Jesus is telling them, he says, wake up. I, for I have not found your deeds to be completed in the sight of my God. He's saying, you've taken me out of the center. You're trying to earn your significance. And it's leading you to compromise your faith. 
You see, some good things are not always God things. I'm going to say that again. Some good things are not always God things because when they're not partnered with Holy Spirit, they can lead you into compromising your faith. You see, Jesus, he even says it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, someone knows that one. See, this so easily happens. This has happened to me several times. You know, you're doing these good things for God, and then we start to slip into earning our significance through them. Maybe we start to get noticed or start to get some influence, but when that influence wanes a little bit, we start to get tempted to boast and even compromise to keep it. See, what happened to the Sardians here is they fell into works rather than grace. See, we could slave for the kingdom and miss the grace of God. You know, during, this is crazy during Jesus' day. You've heard of the word the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They knew so much about God. They followed all the rules. They loved to walk through the streets, right, and get all the attention. But when God was standing right in front of them, they couldn't even see him. Big problem. So Jesus here invites them into partnership. He says, verse three, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come. It's getting bold here. So what did they receive? See, Jesus mentions this right at the beginning before he mentions any of this. He says, I hold the seven spirits of God. I hold the fullness of the spirit. Go back and remember the good news. The Spirit, Christ in you, the the hope of glory. Like, we can't earn that. That was received. It's a gift. And you know, when you receive, have you ever tried to receive something where you're just like, oh, oh, you know, no? You have to have to stop and receive it. Like, a few years back, I had this friendship with a a young adult, and he was just radically transformed here. He he, he met Jesus. He started getting free from, like, addictions in his life. He he just started to become a different person. And he was sharing this with me and sharing all the things that was changing. He's like, my thinking has changed. My heart, my heart has changed. Like, he's like, I can't even believe it. I even love people. I mean, he was like, that's radical for me. Like, I've been so transformed. Is there any way I can give away? I want to serve. I want to, is there any way I can help? See, he realized he received something so special, so amazing. He was so grateful for it that he couldn't help but want to give away. See, Jesus is saying motives matter. Remember what you received and heard. Remember, remember when you were compelled by the Spirit? You remember when you first heard the Spirit telling you something? You remember those days? Like, that's the place, that's the motives that we serve from. It's, it's intimate connection with him. So he says, receive and hear, and then keep it. I love meanings of words. It means to attend to or guard it from injury. What he's saying is that this gift is precious. You know, Jesus' gift is not like a white elephant gift. You know those, you know, sometimes those are actually surprisingly awesome, but most of the time, we throw them away, or we save it for the next white elephant gift exchange, right? <clears throat> you know, Jesus is saying, my gift is not like that. Even though the Sardians are treating, he's like, this is a, a cherished gift. You have to steward it. You have to guard it from injury. Like, it can actually get hurt if you don't guard this thing. And he says, then repent. 
And I love what Julie discovered a couple weeks ago. This is the word metanoia, and it means to take on another mind, the mind of Christ. Like, that's actually a promise that we have the mind of Christ. He's saying, take on my mind, partner with me. Remember, I have the fullness of the Spirit. I will lead you to works. Let me empower you to live differently. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour. See, Jesus mentions this in the Gospels. He meant that like this thief idea, but this reference is especially potent to the Sardians. You see, Sardis was built on this really high cliff, thought to be impenetrable. Okay, you can see a picture of the ruins there. They were so confident that they didn't even put guards up at the citadel, up at the top there. They didn't even guard it at all until one night, the Sardians went to sleep like normal, thinking, oh, I love, I'm sitting up in my wonderful citadel, and it's great. And in the middle of the night, someone from the Persian army scaled this really dangerous cliff, opened up the city, and the city was sacked. Now, this didn't just happen once in their history, but twice. Wow. You see, Jesus understands you. He knows the context of your life. He knows your history. He knows how to speak to you. He knows how to get your attention so you don't go down the wrong path, like that letter that was sent to me from my junior high, right? He knew how to get my attention. See, for the Sardians, they had this history of being overconfident, boasting in their own works. And so Jesus is warning them. He's like, this time it's not going to be your city. Your very lives are at stake. Verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Okay, we have to realize something about all of these letters, that Jesus is speaking to different groups of people. Okay, there's a very mixed, like even in this crowd, like this crowd is a very mixed, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, some of you are searching out, like there's a very mixed group. And he's saying here, there are some that didn't soil their garments, but what we're seeing is that many did, and they're leading to compromise. We, we saw in the other letters, it could be sexual immorality or compromising their faith. But see, here's the, the, the cool thing. Jesus is being really bold and blunt here for a very good reason, that it's not too late for the Sardians. It's not too late for them. He's saying, when you accept the invitation to partner, it leads to a promise. Listen to this promise. Verse 5. He who overcomes will thus, thus saith the Lord. Don't you love this translation? He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what he's saying is that, okay, I see, you made a name for yourself. But you know what? That name is going to fade away. You know what's not going to fade away? Your name in the book of life. Like, don't be tempted by this temporary significance when partnership with me will give you eternal significance. You know, you may think it's great to be known in the city, but I'm going to make you known before the Father who created that city and every city and every nation, right? The entire universe. He's giving them this powerful invitation for real significance. So what can we learn? See, I believe the church right now is being called to wake up 
Like what is, what's important? What really glorifies God is starting to come to the surface. And you know what? What doesn't glorify him, what doesn't create a space for encounter with him, what works are apart from Jesus are actually being exposed because they're dead. They're a corpse. Now, I know that's pretty outlandish, but I just want to tell you, this is so relevant for us today. This is the time that we're living in. Many times we can get so caught up in religious activity. You know, we maybe thought coming to church is all that's needed, but God is actually calling us to be the church, not just come to church, right? The hands and the feet of Jesus. We're we're the body of Christ. So if you're listening to this message right now, God is speaking to you. He's calling you into the fullness of his presence, the fullness of the spirit. He's actually inviting you right now into a fresh encounter with the living God that he's alive and well. And he's saying the time is done to start to do things on your own, to start getting your significance from your actions and just go along with the crowd. He's saying like, I'm calling you into divine partnership. This is what you were made for. See, apart from him, you can do nothing. So he's like, let's do this together. I made you for something. So maybe you're relating to this. Maybe you do feel like you've got your significance from your actions. Like when someone mentions something about you and it it kind of, it like defines who you are. Maybe this is like, you feel like the Sardians. But I know for some of us, in this season especially, you're in a very different place. You're maybe in a place of discouragement. Like maybe you're hesitant about your faith, like you don't know or you're doubting your significance. See, this is actually where the church in Philadelphia was. So what do we know about Philadelphia? Well, they make some really great cream cheese. Okay, seriously though. That was much later. Philadelphia was just down the street from Sardis, right? And so, the, and the name actually means brotherly love. We probably have heard of Philadelphia since we have a city here in the U.S. But it was a mission town used to teach Greek culture. But here's something really significant about this city. It was actually well known for its earthquakes. They had tons of strong earthquakes, aftershocks all the time. Actually living there, it would happen so often, people would just run out into the middle of the street to make sure the building didn't collapse on them, and then they'd go back and see all the cracks, and, you know, really crazy place to live. And so here's the irony. It is one of the few ancient cities that still exists today. There you can see a modern picture. Isn't that crazy, all the earthquakes? Philadelphia had a very large and prominent synagogue, but the church was actually really small. And we know that this church in particular was under some intense persecution. Even some of them were martyred for their faith. So this is the backdrop as we read this letter. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Man, I just love this about Jesus. He's revealing the answer to the problem that they're facing. Like, where there's a problem, he has a promise. We gotta remember that. And what he's saying is, I am holy and true, that you can trust who I am in everything that I can say. Everything that I say, you can trust. 
I think that's a word for somebody. Everything Jesus says, you can trust. And he says this, he has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one will open. See, the context here from the Old Testament is really interesting. He says the key of David, the key of David gives access to King Hezekiah's palace. So King Hezekiah was another king for the Israelites, but what this is actually representing is access to the king, to the kingdom, intimacy. So, okay, get, get all this. Here we go. Don't let this blow your mind. Jesus is the son of David. He's sitting on the throne of David, and he has the key of David. So what he's saying is that all the riches and resources of heaven are available to him. So why is this so important? You see, religion is always trying to control who has access to the kingdom. Always. If you do this, you get in. If you don't do this, you're out. That's it. You ever been around people like that? In, out, in, out, right? They want you to earn your significance. But see, what Jesus is saying, uh-huh, I am the holder of David's key. Like, I say who gets in, who gets out. It's a reference to uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, it's, it's not religion, it's relationship. See, when Jesus opens a door, no one else can shut it. No one can shut it. We just have to have the faith and the courage to walk through that door or to walk away if that door got closed. Like, I want to take a, just a brief moment here because maybe there's something over your life that you've been afraid of. Maybe God has even spoken a promise over your life, but you've been afraid to walk through the door. You're discounted yourself. You don't feel worthy. Like, I can't do that. Who am I, right? But see, what Jesus is saying, you can trust me. I am holy and true, and I have access to every resource. Verse 8, I know your deeds. Now, we've heard this before, but here we go a different direction. He says, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, oop, savage Jesus, who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come down and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. See, it's clear that the Philadelphians have been under some immense attack, some harsh attack, very similar to what we've seen in some of the other churches. Like the religious leaders of the synagogue are trying to wipe them out, just to slander their name, have them beaten by the Romans, seizing property, keeping them from getting jobs. Some of this kind of sounds familiar to today, keeping people from getting jobs. And through it all, they stayed faithful to Jesus, right? They didn't deny his name, but they were losing their confidence. They were really discouraged. They, they were beginning to forget their significance. See, I've talked to so many of you that have lost your confidence during this season. Like, you're like, do I even know what I'm doing? I'm doing, like, am I in the right job? Am I a good parent? And you try and, you know, you try not to let yourself go there. I try not to let myself go there, but the tension everywhere all the time, it's kind of like, it just doesn't let up, does it? It's like everything is shaking. But you see, for every tension, Jesus has redemption. 
And so he's beginning to show how he's going to fight for them. He says, because you have a little power, because of your weakness, I'm going to fight for you. Now, isn't it crazy that God's grace is attracted to our weakness? Paul says this crazy verse, when I am weak, he is strong. You guys know it, right? He says, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. Okay, so here's some crazy context. He's flipping an Old Testament prophecy here. He's saying, okay, there's a few places in the Old Testament where it says that that the nations will finally recognize that God is with you, the Israelites, and they're going to come down and bow down at your feet. But what he's saying here is that these, those of the synagogue of Satan have actually crossed over to the wrong side of this prophecy. And they're going to acknowledge this little Philadelphian church. They're going to acknowledge God is among them and come bow down at their feet. See, he's building their confidence. He knows how to build. He knows what to say to you. He's reminding them of their significance that, hey, you're on the right side of this thing, even though it feels like it's not. No one's going to shut this door. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Okay, here's where we got to put on our sunglasses, or you could say grace glasses. Now, I have four kids they're probably getting a little bored, you know, about this three-fourths into the message. They like to do dress-up. So I have a little prop to help us remember that we got to put on our grace glasses. <sighs> now, you're going to remember this. Grace glasses. They don't look like our normal glasses, right? we got to ask the Lord. Now, I can't see out of these things, so I'm going to put them down. But you guys get the point. We have to ask God, let me see this the way you see it. Put on your sunglasses. See, many have tried to make verses like this all about rules. All about rules. The more you persevere, the less testing you're going to get. So you better persevere. Hold on like them. You better press in or you're going to get a lot of persecution. But that's based on our behavior. That's old covenant. See, Jesus isn't saying that. He says that they have kept. Now, that's the same word as the Sardian word, right? Same, in the same letter. They have attended to, they have guarded from injury the word of his perseverance. See, what he did for us on the cross, it's based on his behavior, not ours. See, what he did for us, God's grace is not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. And Jesus is the answer to every problem. And if we can, like, keep this... If we can guard it, we will not experience the trials the same way that others do. Now, we will experience trials, right? What happens when you get attacked? What happens when your finances get all messed up? You lose your job, or maybe someone kind of slanders your name or gives you a reputation, and you can't even get a job now. Do you panic? Do you freak out? Do you get discouraged? I mean, it's actually really hard not to. But see, the problem as we experience these tremors and we can keep the word of his perseverance, what he has done for us, what he has paid for us, we will not get affected like the others. See, we can have peace in the middle of the storm. 
right? We can actually make peace in the middle. Okay, now we're, now we're, uh, we're pressing here. We can make peace in the middle. We can actually make peace. We can manifest Jesus that you know that you actually could contain a solution to a problem that you're, even your boss can't solve. It's because we're staying connected. Okay, we're not affected by all of the craziness because we're connected to the one who paid it all. He says, verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. There he is. Hold fast. Keep it so that no one will take your crown. Oh, look at this. Got a little crown here. Hmm. Okay, this one hurts my head just a little bit. But you guys get the point, right? Will you be able to take me seriously if I keep this on? I don't know. See, Jesus is reminding them of their purpose and the significance in their city, their calling. Some of us need to be reminded of our purpose and our calling when we get discouraged. Now, what he's not talking about is the crown of life. Listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He goes, after all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? Is it not you? See, the crown is the people. See, he's saying, you have an open door that no one can shut. And you, when you walk through it and share the good news, you will help people get free from addictions, heal the sick. You'll help them come into relationship with me. And that is your crown. Don't let anyone take that crown. See, some of you are in situations right now that are really uncomfortable. You want another job. You're like, my work environment is toxic. And may, you know, maybe many don't know Jesus and you just want out. You're like, I can't even be myself in this place. I, I need out of here. But I believe Jesus is speaking to you right now. Maybe there's a reason you're there. Maybe you have an open door to share the good news, to, to heal them, to bring them into relationship with Jesus. Maybe those people are your crown. He's, that's what he's telling the Philadelphians, like, don't let them take your crown. Don't let them take the glory. Don't let them take your purpose. He says this in verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Wow. Okay, Philadelphia, known for earthquakes, aftershocks, tremors. He's going to make them a pillar. Talk about a timely word. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the promises of the Philadelphians are so rich. And I wish I had time to go through them all, but I want to point something out. Something that stands out in this letter above all the rest of them. He gives eight I will statements. See, the Philadelphian church is actually probably the smallest church of all the seven, and yet they get the most help. They're beaten down, they're persecuted, attacked, they're forgetting who they are, forgetting their significance, and they needed Jesus' I wills. See, look at all these I wills. Can you put that up there? Yeah. I will open the door that none will shut. I will make them bow down. I will show them how much I love you. I will keep you from testing. 
I will make you a pillar. I will never leave you. I will write the name of my God on you and the name of the city of my God. Man, those are promises. You see, just like the Philadelphians, there's an I will over your life. You may feel weak right now, but you know, when we are weak, he is right. You may feel like you're being shaken, and the world is shaking. Okay, let, let's, not, let's, let's be real here. Everything is shaking right now, but, you, but do you know what you're receiving? You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. That You are not irrelevant. You are not out of it. You are not done. See, when we doubt our significance, we can miss the door that's open right in front of us. We have to put faith to what God has called. You know, you know what we spell faith here in the vineyard? Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We have, to, we have to risk it. We have to risk. You know, there are aftershocks and tremors in our world everywhere and so many tensions. Like, it, it can be overwhelming, right? It can be so overwhelming and you're not sure what to do. But see, we have to remember that every tension, there's redemption. He brings redemption. Every problem, there's a promise. There's a promise over your life. And the enemy doesn't like you. He's trying to attack you. He wants to get you out of the game. But right now, there's an invitation for God to say, he's saying, come, come to the fullness of my presence. You are, you are gonna come alive. You're not gonna be dead like the Sardians. You're gonna come alive, right? So Jesus Pray with me right now. Just put out your hands. I just sense even something right now. Lord, I just thank you that you're the answer to every problem. There's callings in this room, in vocations, in different workplaces, even neighborhoods, Lord, where we feel like we have to be silent but you're calling us to give words of life and freedom and truth and bring healing and transformation through these hands and feet in every room, in every living room. Thank you, Lord, that you're gonna remind us of our significance. You are the one that made it. It's on your behavior, not ours. So, Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you start to remove the things that have come in the way where we've feel like we have to compromise or we have to not be who we really are because we won't get accepted. We invite you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.